Today's show is brought to you by the inaugural Horse Racing Women's Summit, an event set to take place September 28th through 30th at Santa Anita Park. This multi-day event aims to bring together people from all facets of the horse racing industry with a mission of connecting and empowering women in racing. The summit features a slew of powerhouse industry speakers, including Dora Delgado, Chief Racing Officer at the Breeders' Cup, Bo Derrick, DMTC board member and an animal rights activist, Krista Marilla, CMO at Keeneland, and it's highlighted by keynote speaker Susan Packard, an accomplished author and speaker who advocates for a revolutionary new perspective for business women. If you're involved in racing, bloodstock, breeding, sales, ownership, aftercare, marketing, or any other area of the horse racing business, this event is for you. And tickets are now on sale. You can visit www.womeninracingsummit.com for details that URL once again womeninracingsummit.com Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for Friday, August 19th covering the races mostly of Saturday the 20th and a little bit Sunday the 21st. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you from the little house on the east side, sitting in the kitchen, uh, the garage occupied by uh, a pal. Actually, you know him if you watch these shows, uh, Clay Sanders from 10 Strike Racing, staying out there. I'm letting him work out there. I'll work here in, in the bar. we got a loaded show for you. Lots of racing to cover. Our Woodbine takeover with one of their big weekends. Um, we're going to get to that after the first break, but I did want to just take a minute to at least acknowledge the big racing story of the week uh, uh, and a depressing one with the, the news about uh, Chad Brown being arrested here in Saratoga. No editorializing going to happen for me on this one, but I did just want to throw out there the idea that obviously it's a very, uh, these charges are beyond serious and it's important that, we, that they be gotten to the bottom of, but at the same time, wanting to say that uh, I'm not in any rush to judgment. We're hearing a lot of stories and the legal process will happen here and we'll get more information. And, and once that gets sorted out, it'll maybe become appropriate to comment more. But, you know, again, I just didn't want to not have any mention of the situation on these airwaves. So there you go. That's all. That's all we're going to do for now. And again, it's a developing story that we'll continue to, to talk about and cover as all of the facts come to light. We're going to get into talking about some racing. We're going to start off with Woodbine. We'll start off with Woodbine Sunday and then go to Woodbine Saturday. And we're going to get to that right after this. We're doing something completely different for the Travers this year. Going to be our first ever live Travers Monster Pod. You can join us live at the Brentwood basically right after the races on Thursday. This is going to be happening. You can also watch via live stream. We're going to use the patented Monster Pod gimmick one guest per horse. We don't have it finalized yet, but Marshall Graham's going to be around. Nick Tamaro's going to be around. Sean Borman's going to be around. Should be an awful lot of fun. Be sure to tune in on Thursday, August 25th. You'll be able to find that stream on YouTube soon if you want to sign up early for it to make sure not to miss it. If you can come join us in person at the Brentwood, all the better. Thursday night after the races, live Travers Monster Pod at the Farrier Bar at the Brentwood. First up on the show, very happy to be joined by a returning guest who comes to us from Woodbine, where you enjoy his work on the simulcast feed. And if you're not, 
you're, you're not doing it right. You need to be watching the Woodbine simulcast feed to hear his insights. He is Jeff Bratt. Jeff, how are things? Peter, great to be back with you on the In The Money podcast. I was a little bit worried that maybe you lost my number because you're a world traveler these days. been following your exploits on Twitter. You're all over the place. Uh, I've been living vicariously through you. You know, some of us actually have to work for a living. So, uh, yeah, so I've been watching you and uh, you've been uh, visiting some great locales. I'm, I'm extremely jealous, but I'm glad that my number is still on your roll event. So, thank I've you, for been, you know, I try to bother you, you know, you're busy enough with everything you're doing up there, but... If, if if you want, we, we can bother you a lot more. We, we love covering Woodbine. Drew and I have been on basically every week um, looking at the Saturday cards. But uh, so is there, are you volunteering? Is that is that what I'm hearing here? Uh, I wouldn't say volunteering is the right word, but I am more readily available. <laughs> That's good to know. That's good to know. We'll bring you in. We'll bring, uh, we won't abuse the privilege, but we'll bring in, we'll bring in a little bit more. But one day that I'm not, never going to be uh, letting you off the hook on, if it's at all possible, is, is a day like Queen's Plate Day, one of the signature yeah. days of the meeting. We had Jim Lawson on early in the week, giving us a, a bit of an overview of some of the stuff that you guys have going on from a, from a marketing perspective on the day. I understand there's a little bit of weather maybe making its way through the area. That's something we're going to want people to pay attention to. But uh, how are the vibes ahead of this uh, of this August Queen's Plate? And, and how do you feel about the August Plate as opposed to the, the traditional um, late June, early early July? Yeah, it's a good question. First of all, um, in terms of the buildup here in uh, Toronto for it, I think it's higher than it's been for me in a recent memory. And I think the reason for that was two years ago, we had no fans for the plates because of COVID. Last year, we were restricted to the amount of people we could have because of COVID, but now we can have as many people as we want. So I think it's kind of more of the usual vibe going on right now. So I really think that's that's cool. And I think the fact, too, that, that a Philly is the favorite in the race is um, it's kind of a cool storyline as well that a lot of people are jumping onto at this point. So, yeah, very much looking forward to that. Uh, the weather, as you said, might be a bit of a storyline. The forecast has been wrong more often than not in Toronto so far this summer. So that's going to be the case coming up on on the program on Sunday as well. But yeah, vibe wise, I'm really looking forward to it. In terms of the, the race placement, that's an interesting question because I had a debate about that uh, with a couple of friends of mine. Is it better in June or is it better in August? I think what you get in June is you get horses that have more dreams of potentially having success in the plates. Whereas by the time we get to August, you have more of the pretenders that aren't in the race and you've got more of the serious contenders. And maybe that's why the field's a little bit smaller this year with just 11 going into the starting gates. It's an interesting observation. I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but it does make sense. I mean, it's fun early in the year. Look no further to a race like the Kentucky Derby to try to see who is going to be able to get that 10 furlongs yeah. a much easier chore for a three-year-old when you, when you get to the, to the middle of August, but where, where something is, is maybe gained from a horseman point of view, from a horse development point of view, from just a pure wagering probability standpoint, maybe, maybe something's a little bit lost too. I'm sure and it feels like Woodbine is one of the places that looks at data and really yeah. is, is willing to be nimble and, and, and take chances and experiment with things. And then if they, if they work great, if they don't work, you look back to, you know, you, you pivot again. So we'll see what, the, what sort of decisions are made going forward as far as that goes. And you need some cooperation from other tracks too, because if you lay out the triple crown, right. So you need some cooperation from Fort Erie willing to move the Prince of Wales stakes. So it's, if you move things too often, then it's going to become a bit of an issue. So I, but as you said, I think it is still a bit of a, 
still a bit of a learning curve to figure out if this is the right placement or not. We're not resistant, I think, to changing it back if we have to. But at this point, we just thought for the locally based horses, it got them a chance to get more preps into them as they lead up to the Queen's Plate. I have enjoyed sort of the prep season and following this group along. We'll get to the plate in a minute, but there's another race I know you were excited to talk about as well that goes as race number eight, 423 p.m. Eastern is the scheduled post time of the King Edward, this grade two going one mile on a turf for three and up. Field of seven, but some some real familiar names and, and some likable horses turning up in this spot with the with some impressive resumes. Who are you the most interested in seeing run in the King Edward? Ah, the most interested probably would be Cheryl Spite because, you know, he's a grade one winner. Um, last time he was going to seven eights and the fractions were really up against him. Now, has he somewhat gone over the top of his good form? That's a legit question to ask yourself in here. But anytime you get a grade one winner in a field like this, you've got to obviously pay a second glance at that. And then you have Weyburn, you know, he's Weyburn's a tough horse to figure out because he has these these sparks of brilliance. Then you don't see him for three or four races. And all of a sudden he shows back up again. To me, it just seems like they are just back at the drawing board now because he's getting onto the turf for the first time. He's changed trainers yet again. So who knows what we're going to get with Weyburn. Then you have the Cinderella story from last season, the, in the mile with town cruise. There's obviously other pace in this race too. You've got Kevin Attar with Harlan state and Hadassah March, the arch, you know, he's, He's, he's made a lot of money in his career, but I never seem to get him on the right day. And uh, he can really roll down the stretch. But there's Philo de Ariana, who I thought got away with really slow splits last time out and looked good winning. But I think it's going to have a little bit more pressure coming up on the weekend. And the distance of a mile might be a bit of a question mark as well. So I eventually did land on Cheryl Spite. I might be jumping on the bandwagon a little bit too late with the horse. But I'm just thinking if the, if the pace is hot, as I think it will be up front, um, I'm hoping his class will prevail. I do think it's an interesting angle to look to a Cheryl Spider or March to the Arch, the horses that were presumably compromised, if your and my reading of the pace was correct, in that run 29 days ago. Both of them now have, I think, similar uh, similar profiles with maybe that, that ra- those races a little bit better than they look because they were against Dynamics. Yeah. I guess the question is, what what are, are, are we going to get? Will we see runners like, uh, like Town Cruise and Philo Diariana hook up and and set something up for a horse from off the pace certainly the galloping one mile configuration should help i think i think the Cheryl spite march to the arch way might be the way to go and if you made me make a pick from this far out i think i might go with march to the arch who's shown such quality at times and i think might be yeah. headed back in the right direction i mean beaten to, held well held by Philadelphia Ariana last time. But again, I think dynamics were really the, the, the big say in that. I assume you'll have some, if, if you like Cheryl Spite, I'm assuming you also like uh, March the Arch to be on some tickets. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing with March the Arch too is, and I'm a real believer of this too, Pete, is that I, I think here at Woodbine, this particular turf course, some horses love it and some horses really struggle because it's so unique. And you look at his record on turf here, he's only missed the board once. And, and that was a fourth place finish in the mile last season. So he really does love this. He's not, he's not dependable. Like he's, he's not a really dependable horse to win, but I think he's going to get a beautiful setup in this race. I don't mind horses like that when you're getting compensated in terms of price. And, and I think that's right. The, the, the width of the turn, it's just different. You know, we, I was talking with somebody the other day and and calling the Woodbine with, with York going on, actually, as we speak, York going on, um, there's a similarity to me, these left-handed galloping, and it makes sense that certain horses are going to like that more than, more than others. I mean, and, and for me, 
it, it definitely brings stamina a bit more into play when you're not mm -hmm. some handy horses you can get they can get a little bit further because they're able to slow down going around turns or some horses just like running around turns and some horses like running more full out and and the and a testing mile like this woodbine one it, it does make perfect sense to me that it would be a particularly horse for course type configuration and that's especially useful here at woodbine because we have the inside turf course now which the turns are so tight and some horses can just slingshot off those turns and keep on going whereas here it's more of a gradual turn on the ep and then you have that long stretch to deal with as well so it's it's very unique yeah, so there's nothing else in in North America like it. You got to look. You got to look overseas to come up with any kind of analog, and e and even then, it's more it's more North American than you know a York. Obviously, it's it, it sort of sits in the middle, and it is it is fun and challenging handicapping turf races at Woodbine the, because of those two different courses. I mean, they're even a place like New York where you have the two turf courses at Belmont or Saratoga. I think there's, it's safe to say there's more similarity between yeah. the, the inner and the outer here than, than at Woodbine where you have the whole synthetic course between them. And it just totally changes like the geometry and it's going to lend itself to different horses doing well. Something that people should be paying attention to when they're looking at Woodbine for sure. I, I think both courses more than the average turf course lend themselves to specialists. If, do you think that's a fair thing to say? Yep. Especially at a mile too, a mile distance, because I mean, it's not really a sprint. It's not really a route. You know, it's kind of just in between. You have to have, it's almost like you break it up into quarters and you have to go like the same kind of speed for each quarter. And you can't, you don't really get a breather at all either too. So it's a real, it's a real tactical race too, I find. Let's talk about the Queen's Plate itself for these three-year-olds with a million in the pot going a mile and a quarter mm -hmm. on the synthetic. Uh, we are restricted to Canadian bred runners uh, not a bad field size at all in 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 this one, but it, it's I guess it's a testament to how big the field usually is that that we're talking about this as a little bit little bit of a shorter field. We've got two that stand out to me in uh, in Moira and Ronder. Yep. Are you going to go with one of those two, or are you going to go in a different direction? Well, you know, I guess when I handicap this race, I've got two ways of looking at it. Am I picking the horse that I think is going to win, or am I trying to find a little bit of value in this race too? I, I that's as you know, as as a public handicapper like I am, that's always the fine line that I have to kind of walk all the time is to try and figure out what, how am I really helping out the public if I pick a horse that's going to be seven to five or eight to five in a race, right? So, I, I think Moira deserves to be favorite. I think she's going to be very tough to beat. If you're not familiar with the storyline with Moira, she's affiliated taking on the boys. Last time that she ran, she came over to the paddock area. She tweaked one of her hind shoes. They tried to get it back on. She wasn't behaving. So the decision was made. She ran with no hind shoes in the Oaks, and she still won by 10 lengths. And um, the Oaks and the play trial are on exactly the same day, which I like. They were one race apart. The internal fractions for the Oaks were faster. The final time was faster uh, than the boys' race. She deserves to be the favorite. You have to watch her pre-race, though, because they've been schooling her a lot. And uh, she can be a little bit difficult, but um, I, I'm going to go towards somebody else that we'll get to in a couple of seconds. But let's first of all change our focus to Rondura a little bit in here, because, again, a different approach uh, for Katarina Vasilieva in here as uh, they're coming off seven weeks. You know, that's that's more the norm that we see now in North America, where they you want a fresh horse going to the race. And he won against open competition. He won beautifully. He won so nicely that he loses his rider as uh, Hernandez picks uh, the filly in this race, that being uh, Moira. But I'm curious from your perspective before i give you my selection here how you differentiate between these two horses because you know i'm sort of immersed in these two horses day in day out so i'm curious to see what uh what your thoughts are on the differences between these two i mean for me moira the impression 
she made visually, the run she made during what was still a pretty fast part of the race, yeah. and just the ease with which she did it, the form of that race looking good with Sister Siegel coming back and winning last weekend, and the fact that we just have a little bit more of a line of where she is right now. Those are all things that are pointing me in her direction over over Rondor. I respect Rondor, but I just I'm I'm a little I mean I get that this was the plan. So I mean it's not like a big problem, yeah. but I just give her a little bit I just give her a little bit of an edge. And I also think that the race might be run a little bit more to suit. I think if Rondor is as close to the pace as he was in the Marine, he's in danger of getting cooked on the front end. True. And I, I think Moira's gonna be able to just get that you know, back, back of the pack sits, depending on what pace map you look at, could even be last. I don't think, I don't think she'll be last. I think she'll be, you know, third flight as yep. it were. And I think that's going to be, I think that's going to be a good setup. And, and I feel like the added ground is going to, going to hopefully just work to her advantage on, on pedigree. It certainly seems that way that she's been campaign like a Philly for whom the mile and a quarter is going to be a going to be a good thing. So, yeah. as a numbers oriented player, I can't like talk anybody off Rondor. If you build in a little bit of extra improvement for the the, the time between the last races, um, the, the case is there to be made. But I think Moira's going to like the distance better. I think she might just be a little bit faster. So that's that's how I'm going to play it. I'll, I'll probably play her and then try to get clever with something uh, something to come running for a little piece underneath that's maybe theoretically not fast enough but can still pass some tired horses right. and get up into the number. Think of a horse like maybe uh, maybe Hall of Dreams as one who I think will appreciate the the added ground and maybe can come run second to her. Does that, does that sound reasonable? Yeah, that sounds reasonable. And I think Duke of Love is going to take a lot of play too because, first of all, the ownership group, my racehorse, so the horses, they, they tend to get overbet. And uh, the horse had a trouble trip last time out. So um, obviously he's going to take a lot of money. But my place actually would be the Minster. Uh, Dan Vela, you know, he knows a thing or two about winning the plays. He's run on twice, uh, two previous occasions, rather. And everything went wrong for the horse last time. They experimented, and it blew up. It was like an old science project for me. You know, it just, they tried to rank, they tried to take the horse back. The horse fought the rider. Then after the race, they realized the horse suffered from heat exhaustion, got the thumps. Essentially, if you're not familiar with the term thumps, it's like horse getting hiccups. It can be a bit of a... Uh, a reaction to LASIK sometimes too. So imagine trying to run when you have the hiccups. Like I, I, I can't, I don't run as it is, but running with the hiccups, I think it would be a little bit on the tricky side of things. But uh, I, I like the Minster. I, I think he's going to be forced into a bit of a stalking position in here because I think Ironstone's going to be on the front end in here. And if they don't go too hot, I'm hoping that maybe I can get the jump on a Moira and maybe I'll be able to last a little bit. But I'm just trying to find a bit of a price. In the I, I, mean, I think it's very reasonable. You look at this breeding, mile and a quarter yep. should be absolutely fine by English Channel out of a flatter dam. And sometimes a horse like this will actually relax. They they can run. They can get that perfect stalk and pounce trip from the pocket and that you, know, that you don't deal with the the pulling and all those issues. Now I didn't realize the extra bit about what was going on physically with the Minkster last time. But the other thing that just leaps off the page is this horse has Rondo on the form book from two runs back. And, and yeah. I mean, almost any time you can get a, a, a form angle like that. And the a horse who, who beat one of the fancied ones is going to be three or four times the price. And you have an excuse for the last race and a reason to believe they're going to enjoy today's conditions. You're talking me into getting the Minkster on my ticket. <laughs> all right. <laughs> And I just, I, you know, sometimes I'm a believer too, and maybe wrongfully so, but I, I'm almost a believer too in trainers that have won the race before too. Like they know how to get there. And 
Dan Valley is a seasoned veteran. He knows that in the play trial, that's not the race you want to win. If you're going right. to try and experiment, that's the race to do it in. Didn't work out. So uh, now you, you try to get the horse back on track in here. And then you've got Sir for sure. He'll get the distance for sure. He is a massive horse. He, he wouldn't fit into this studio that I'm in right now. He is so <laughs> big. And he caused some interference with his stable mate last time out in the play trial. So if the pace totally collapses, he's another horse I think you should toss onto your ticket. I was thinking of trying to be against that race just as a race. But, yeah. I mean, I think you make a good case why, um, certainly in, in, in the case of your, your top pick, the Minkster, it might not, it might not matter. And that's, and that's a good point about how a horse coming out of a slower race, again, those slow, slower horses will beat faster horses, like the, these terms in quotes, depending on the pace setup. And yep. there's a world in which this just does go a little bit crazy. What if the Minkster can't rate and uh, joins that party early exactly. and a runner like uh, Duke of Love on pace figures isn't going to be too far back of that. Maybe they attack a little bit early. If it, if it comes apart and, and for some reason Moira has a trip or something, I mean, I think Moira is probably supposed to be the best closer, but it doesn't always work out that way. And it's uh, smart sometimes on your tickets to, think of different pace scenarios and put different combinations of runners on different tickets, depending on how things are going to shake out out there. So very, very interesting thoughts. We look forward to seeing you all day on Sunday on the simulcast feed. There's a rumor Matt Bernier will be uh, hoping yes. to, uh, to get with you for part of it. Is that, is that, can that be confirmed or denied? Well, at this I, point? I, I can confirm that I've called border patrol to, to double check his passport to make sure that he's going to make it into the country. But yes, I, I have heard that he will make an appearance. So I'm looking forward to, to catching up with him. I haven't seen that in a long time. And now he's a pop-up now too. So I got to, I got to ask him about how the sleep's going. If that's, if that's affecting the handicapping. I think he seems to be, he seems to be weathering it pretty well from an analysis <laughs> point of view. He's definitely on point, but obviously we all know the, the disruptions. We, he was actually going to, truth be told, he was going to join us today, but he was on daddy duty. So he could not. So we did a, we did a little thing on our horse players, happy hour show. Folks are interested. And Matt also covered uh, the plate early in the week on his show. So plenty of opportunities to hear what he has to say uh, on this network um, as well. And yeah, it'll be fun to see you guys up there together. And I will attempt I'm almost surely, unless something goes horribly awry, going to be making my next uh, international trip up to Woodbine for the mile. Hopefully we'll get a chance to hang awesome. out then. Always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, can we do an actual In the Money podcast, like actually with you sitting beside me? Is that is that possible? 100% possible. All right. Likely now that you've said it out loud. Okay. And I will uh, I will definitely be uh, able to join you for that because that's my favorite race of the year. I love the mile. That's my, my oh, favorite Oh, it's so race. great. It's such a great yeah. weekend of racing. and. Oh, the weather usually comes correct. Is the Toronto Film Festival back in effect this year? It is. All right, it I is. To, I better yep. start scrambling and getting tickets and, and getting. Well, you're used to the paparazzi following you around. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Godspeed. We'll talk soon. Uh, thanks. All the best, my man. Next up on the show, we continue talking Woodbine, but we'll turn the clock back a day and we'll talk about Woodbine Saturday. And to do that with me, I bring in the man we always turn to at inthemoneypodcast.com when it comes to all things Woodbine. He's also the In The Money uh, Media Business Manager. He's Drew Coatney. Drew, what's going on? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Just got back from a quick jaunt to Chicago to see the house and uh, looked like a bullet hole was in my garage. Start poking around a little bit more. Turns out it got struck by lightning. Uh, what? Ended up blowing up all sorts of stuff. And uh, thankfully, the house didn't burn down. We're all safe and good. Holy uh, but, Christmas. Yeah. Uh, this was the, a Chicago house got hit by lightning? 
Yep. Yep. And uh, talk to a neighbor. He goes, yeah, I thought an explosion went off. Power line went down. We weren't home. Um, and it's going to cause, I don't even want to guess how much damages are going to have to be repaired because it traveled garage door, garage opener, exploded a wire that the garage door opener plugs it's a into. It's miracle there wasn't a fire. Oh my gosh. It, it absolutely was. And then comes into the panel, panel closed. So people, the PSA, close your electrical panel because this thing blew a hole onto the panel itself because the breaker exploded. Oh if that God. wasn't closed, house is on fire and we aren't talking about a saved but we're actually talking about quite a different story. So oh close your electrical panel. All right, that's a good PSA. We, we we like to do community service around here, so we'll accept we'll accept that one. When you mentioned the bullet hole in Chicago, I just finished watching The Bear. Have you seen that show? It seems like something you might enjoy. I have not. No. What which uh, what's it on HBO? It's a Hulu show, and yeah. for somebody who likes food and has Chicago connections. Uh, I, I would actually call it a must watch. It's only eight episodes. Um, it's a great cast. It's very, it, very much of a, of, a, of a streaming type show in a lot of ways, has a lot of the, the earmarks that you expect from a modern uh, streaming show. But I, I totally enjoyed it. I blew through it in three days. So I, I would uh, I would check it out and we'll, and we'll yap about it. The food, the food stuff, I think, especially will, will tickle your fancy. But let's pivot to uh, what we're meant to be talking about here. People enjoy the tangents, so I don't mind them. But, but you know, at some point, we got to talk racing. And I'll say, we already spoke to Jeff, obviously, about uh, Woodbine Sunday, but you and I will be doing a final answer show. I don't know exactly how we're going to do it. We'll talk stakes, and we'll cherry-pick some other races on the card and have some fun with that. We're going to post that, what, production meeting in the middle of the show. Will you want to record Sunday morning for that? Yeah, yeah. I'll be mid-bachelor party, but I'll be ready to talk some racing, get some gambling <laughs> To, to lick some wounds as it don't were don't drink too much because i don't you know i can't have you like and then like this horse you know we gotta you gotta be animated you gotta gotta There's, we gotta match my energy my friend well if this were younger years it would be a decision inflection point of the night do i just keep going maybe <laughs> grab a two-hour nap and a bloody mary when i wake up but no 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 we we should be good maybe a little groggy maybe have to talk to someone first before we get on air okay we'll 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 prep we'll make sure you're in good you're in good shape for that i'm doing the the tv i'll be on i'll be covering queen's plate day for uh, sky sports racing as well which will be uh, which will be very cool and of course we've got uh well we're not necessarily going to be able to see it hopefully matt bernier is going to pop on the simulcast feed for a little bit with jeff but he'll be uh, covering on on like tv tv up there in canada as well Folks can check him out. Really excited about this Queen's Plate uh, weekend. There's racing, to, as we record this, it's Friday morning. There's racing on Friday. But let's pivot and talk about uh, Saturday, where we've got a pair of stakes that are going to be presumably key preps for the summer and the Natalma in a month's time, part of the Woodbine Mile Day card, when I will hopefully be making my triumphant return up uh, to the Great White North. We'll start by talking about race number six, on Saturday, which goes at 3.37 Eastern. The catch-a-glimpse stakes for these two-year-old fillies going six and a half on the turf. I know you had a few that caught your eye in here. Drew, uh, lead the way. Yeah, I, I think you're going to see a lot of money go towards the number four Grand Oak at six to one because they invested, Grand Motion invested to take this one over uh, to the Royal Meeting over in Nascot. 
And yes, I, I will be using the number four Grand Oak. I think that one's going to take a lot of money, though. My top choice is going to be the number 10 Adora at 10 to 1. Showed some fantastic speed on the Woodbine All-Weather at going four and a half at, uh, no, in May, I should say. And then uh, comes back in Saratoga and just kind of completely gets run over. Didn't really show much. So I, I think that that was a confidence uh, indicator by Cassie that this runner can go, uh, just didn't have anything work out at, over at Saratoga. And today gets a little bit of a weaker field. I'm going to go out on the limb and say that. And, and I think could get loose here. So the number 10 Adora looks good to me, the number four as well. And then I'll also be using a little bit of a uh, number 11 Wickenheiser at three to one again, stalking speed and as a proven commodity on the turf. So nothing too terribly creative except for the top choice, the number 10 Adora 10 to one. That's great value for me. I was going to stick with grand Oak actually in the, the Ascot trip. I can't remember. Was she, no, she was in the, in the care of Rusty Arnold then, but the switch has been made to the grand motion barn. No stranger to shipping up North and winning races I think she's really interesting. I think her pedigree suggests she'll be able to handle the six and a half on the turf at this stretch out. And I'm hoping rather than just show the the speed that she did when she won her maiden at Churchill back in May, that she might be able to stalk and pounce a runner either like Adora, who you mentioned, who I do think is kind of interesting, or maybe a runner like Collecting Flatter, who's shown some nice early pace up there at Woodbine. It's an interesting race. Definitely one I will be wagering, uh, and, I, and I would certainly take the 6-1 to one on Grand Oak, but a race has much to watch, one to take notes on for looking at uh, at the Natalma in just a month's time, which is you know, typically a key prep for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies turf as well. So maybe some Breeders' Cup clues even on display at Woodbine mm-hmm. on Saturday. We'll move on to the seventh race where we've got an allowance Three and up Phillies and Mares going a mile on the inner turf. Drew, what did you like in here? I'm going with the number two sweet serenade. I think getting Lasix for the first time after 11 starts is a bit interesting. And I heard the JK tangent on stats and whether or not he uses them and he completely fades them. I think this is an interesting one to dive into. Haven't done the work yet, but understand, is this the normal pathway for Atfield or does this really turn the light bulb switch on for these uh, runners that have a little bit more experience under them. I, I do think that Sweet Serenade is going to press the pace on Rosebud's Hope, and I think getting back to the inner turf is going to be the key in this situation. Yeah, Rose, Sweet Serenade has to overcome uh, a bit of a pace dynamic, having to be able to catch Rosebud's Hope, who will likely be loose, but so many things can happen. Bad break for Rosebud Hope. They go a little too slow, and Sweet Serenade ends up running her down uh, because I think she's the better closer. Uh, at four to one, I, I feel like, again, you're going to get some good value. I will be backing up with Rosebud Hope in terms of conservation of capital, uh, just trying to get alive there. So the two and I believe the four Rosebud Hope for me in this one. I had written down the eight for Rosebud's Hope. So let's check that real quick because Rosebud's Hope is going to be my top pick. And uh, you were correct. I'm so glad you pointed that out or I would have had something completely wrong in my notes. Um, <laughs> Rosebud's Hope, the four, as you pointed out. Looks like she should be loose and lonely on the front end. Has among the best form and figures going into this race. Very, very sharp right now. Not just a hunch play for Citizen Kane fans. The other one that I wanted to keep on side was number three, Peace Seeker. Mm-hmm. I think is 
on figures anyway, the main danger. Not sure she's going to get the right trip if Rosebud's Hope is out there rolling along and Peace Seeker, not really a wind machine, but I'm enough of a figure monkey to keep Peace Seeker in the midst, in the mix on some tickets. And I'm not going to argue with you too much about Sweet Serenade. You usually, uh, Atfield makes all the right calls in these situations. And we've certainly had a lot of success on this shows over the last couple of seasons with the Emma Jane Wilson runners as well. But I'm going to call it uh, four and three. And Drew has it uh, slightly different, two and four in race number seven. We'll move on to more stakes action, the Soaring Free. This is the, the boys' version of the Catch a Glimpse, six and a half on the turf. We've got a field of 10 in here. And as much of a fan of uh, USA Hockey as I am, it pains me to have to pick uh, Poulan in OT in this spot. But I really, really liked that race the last day. I was on air for that one as well. And I thought that uh, I want I want Poulan in OT to be a Philly. But, of course, this is a Colt. Just been very good in both since starts, looking strong visually and on the clock. And I think the switch to the grass could be a feature, not a bug, because this dam has dropped three winning turf runners, a couple of whom were very fast. I also like the fact that Pulana and OT's last work looks very strong. I'm keeping it simple and going with the three in this spot. Drew, how do you see it? Yeah, it's same thing. Uh, three for me. Uh, I, I do want to go back and watch some replays to see the, those two events that this uh, runner has won, see how much adversity this one overcame. Because when I see glided to lead 3-8, that can mean gifted lead at the 3-8 or actually uh, what was doing it quite well. So I want to do go back. I think this runner's the real deal and will be a significant bet for me on the day, will be kind of the best bet as well for me. I, I will use his backups. Um, the number five ninety four expos um, showed up with some great gate speed last out and should continue somewhat of that progression. And uh, again, here comes Emma Jane Wilson aboard and that turf work under this one's belt now shows that Cassie thinks this one will be a good fit uh, for the turf. So we'll be using that one, the number five ninety four expos. And then the number 10 Bart's dream is a bit of a flyer as a backup at 15 to one. Might get that like perfect wide grinder style of stocking trip where we go, where did that one come from? And ran into a bit of a buzzsaw with uh, Sharp as Attack, which I'm assuming is out of Sharp as Tekka, which I think is a cool name. And uh, gets back to the more comfortable company and distance. So I'm going to go with the strong A of the number three in this one with two backups of the five and the ten. Let's move on to race number nine, where we've got an allowance race going a mile and a sixteenth on the sin. Drew, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, I, I, I do. <laughs> I have to point out uh, Leslie Chow. Am I going to get a reference that you don't get? I don't know Leslie Chow. That one's not <laughs> popping in my brain. Which What's this one? Uh, the Hangover, uh, played by Ken Jung, I think is the comedian's name. Oh, he's great. The, uh, That's yeah. the character's name? That's so funny. I didn't know that. The, yeah, the mafia mob boss they end up accidentally kidnapping. Uh, Leslie Chow. <laughs> Hello. Anyways, we won't go there. All right. So uh, I did want to, my eye was drawn to Malibu Edge here in this one, but uh, I think I have to go with the number five, Shangasa at seven to two and has that ability to press, uh, make that one move and jumps back onto the surface uh, that this one likes in the overall best figures. Also that I will go with the number four Malibu Edge, just it, one for 17 is so hard to take on. This horse has only won once out of 17 races but today just I, looks to be lone speed. So 
hard for me to leave off. And then you also use the number two luck man at eight to one. I think the light bulb went off here. Uh, I've heard Blake Jesse talk about this where horses getting in those maiden ranks once they finally kind of get to the winner's circle uh, and realize passing horses is a fantastic thing to do. Um, they, they end up coming back even stronger. And that's kind of what happened. So I'm looking at that one as an upside type that might get overlooked at eight to one. Um, so I'll use three A's, the five, the four, and the two here. Um, no Leslie Chow for me, unfortunately. Shangasa is actually the seven. I don't know what it is with us today that we can't read the numbers in the in the program correctly. But it's Shangasa who you like, the seven, not the five, Rocket Show Cooper, right? That is correct. We'll keep each other honest. There you go. And I say Cooper, and of course it's Rocket Joe Copper. I'm I'm had loads, lots of host fails, and we've got a long show, so I'm just gonna keep it. Uh, I'm gonna do my best to keep it together. Picks wise, we're very similar here. I did put Malibu Edge on top, despite the uh, the one for Mark. I think the buyer figure from the last day might be a little bit low. Several of the ones to come back from that race have improved their figures significantly. And I think Malibu Edge, as you pointed out, looks like a potential wire threat. Shangasa, I think, has the best closing kick and will be the one to benefit should the top one get hooked early or simply decide to wait around for his friends when he gets in deep stretch, which is something something you will see happen sometimes with these one for uh, a million types when they think they've done enough and uh, somebody else wants to keep running. I think it's Shangasa who will take advantage if that's the case. But I do think Malibu Edge, it's a little bit of a now or never type spot. I like your angle. I didn't come up with the two runner, but I do like that angle. And you, you do see that plenty when the penny drops, they can continue to get good. Thought maybe had a little bit of a setup last time and we'll see how the two classes up with the, with the other. So I'm just going to go four and seven, which will bring us to our nightcap where we've got these $15,000 maiden claimers going six and a half on the turf. If we're playing these late horizontals, Drew, how are we getting paid? Yeah, I, I want to jump back to race nine real quick. I forgot to mention in my notes, I said I will be using some sort of weighted all um, just because anything looks to be possible in that race. And from a conservation of capital, uh, I'd rather have it at the 20 cent minimums. Uh, it doesn't cost too much to back that up. So for race 10, I'm just going to rapid fire some horses off here. I think the two most logical are the number four executive chairman um, cut back to the one turn and looks to want to stalk and grind like that this horse can pass others. And then the 11, uh, Mia and me at nine to two. Third off the bench has the ability to pass, uh, just couldn't get it done on the debut and maybe needed that race. And then we're going to get into some more prices with the number five doing good trouble, 12 to one, drop in class, cut back, ability to press and close up. The number seven, <laughs> number seven, seven is a breeze. I can see how I could get that screwed up if that was a six. Took some money in a big 12 horse field right in the middle at like 10 to one. And today comes in the event with some Stana and a rider change. So maybe this one can figure the things out. And then the number 12 mighty peel could be the lone speed and wire this group. So I've got five horses, two A's, uh, the number four and the 11, and then also as backups, the five, the seven and the 12. All right. Presumably when you're talking about spreading like that here, maybe using a weighted all in the previous race, I guess you're thinking pick five for, for something like that. It feels like too many runners to use in the pick four. But what do you think? I haven't built the whole ticket. Yeah. Yeah. If we're, if we're going five deep in this last one, it, you know, it may be just cut out the, uh, those three backups, 
but really when you get down to the back construction, look at the scratches, I think that's going to be important. And, and I will say we're recording early Friday morning. They took the turf uh, races off yesterday, I believe. There is some rain forecasted. I think they're going to preserve this turf course, so I don't think there's a risk of it coming off on Saturday. But again, you never know. you got to play it out and understand how many runners you have and making sure that if you're right, you actually get paid. So, yeah, don't want to be too, too spreading walk away with a $100 ticket and a $150 return. <laughs> or, or, or worse, the other way around. Very quickly, I put Mystic Point on top, who you didn't mention. I just think this is a horse that's meant to improve on the turf, given the bloodlines, mm-hmm. and just fits anyway on figures and form. And then I was with you on the four executive chairman, turning back in distance, and this will be just the second race against Maiden Claiming Company. Maybe a little bit of a, of a class edge for that one. Two and four for me to close things out. Drew, we'll have you right back with us on uh, Sunday for that special show. Folks should check that out, our final answer show for this Queen's Plate Sunday, and enjoy your weekend until then, and, and you know, don't, don't get after it too much. Hopefully it's more, more of an adult bachelor party yeah well i will be on a boat on saturday so hopefully we make it back to land even so let's just start there <laughs> yeah and hopefully you get the right connection so you can be watching these races on your phone while you're out there at sea oh yeah well and i don't know a lot of these people so degeneracy may not be in their vocabulary so really <laughs> we might be, we may... betting the horses on a boat isn't the perfect bachelor party activity i truly don't know what is yeah, i don't know either i don't know either <laughs> we'll talk soon All right. Thanks, buddy. Today's show also brought to you by our friends at the New York Thoroughbred Breeders. The New York Bread Program is unsurpassed in terms of purses of any regional state bread program. You can get involved by purchasing a registered New York bread at the upcoming Keeneland September sale. That's September 12th through 24th. New York Thoroughbred Breeders, Inc. works to protect the incentives and awards of the New York Bread Program, including $181 million in total purses per year. You can support the New York Bread Program by joining NYTB at nytbreeders.org slash membership. Lots of good membership incentives, including the New York Breeder Magazine, which is a monthly publication, free entrance to any Naira facility, and discounts through the NTRA Advantage. Now is the time to join NYTB at nytbreeders.org slash membership. Next up in the show, happy to welcome back a man we've been keeping very busy, and he's pretty busy in his day job as well, where he works with our friends over at Medallion Racing. He is Philip Shelton. Philip, what's going on? Uh, just looking forward to uh, pick six carryover today and hopefully just uh, pat our bankroll for tomorrow. That's the idea. That's the idea. We're going to have Nick Tamro hopefully doing a little thing on the carryover day. You can also, of course, read his analysis over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. We're talking about the Saturday pick six on this show. Before we get into that, though, I know this is an interesting time for medallion racing, an interesting weekend specifically. Tell us what you guys have cooking. Yeah, so, you know, last year, primarily our partnership focuses on proven fillies. Last year, we had a group of partners that said, hey, we want to buy some yearlings. So one of our first yearlings we own in partnership with uh, Joey Platts is going to debut on Sunday um, at Del Mar. Of course, at, at Del Mar, it just feels like it's a murderer's row, much like Saratoga. You pop out. We we like our Philly, um, but, you know, we got a million-dollar two-year-old for Baffert. We got another Baffert that, you know, ran third, first out. We got a, a Sadler in there that they paid two fifty for and Accelerate. So it's um, you know, a very competitive field, but we're excited. Our Philly's name's Curl Girl. Uh, we're excited to see her run. We, you know, she by curling. We think she'll eventually, you know, be better as, as she stretches out in distance, probably a little better as a three-year-old. But um, 
you know, she's training really well. So we'll keep our fingers crossed for Sunday. I like it. Maybe a small bet or more of a wait and see. Yeah, no, I think um, she drew the rail. That's the negative. You know, she drew towards the outside of me saying, hey, um, I'd be betting personally. Uh, she worked, she's been working with a horse named Classical Cat uh, who runs on Saturday. It's a, it's a colt. So I think, you know, if he were to run really well, then I think, you know, I'd be, I'd be more bullish if, if he, you know, ran third or fourth or something, um, you know, maybe a more of a wait and see. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, we're, you know, we're positive. I go into all these things, you know, when they're training, you just don't know how they're going to handle the break, how they're going to handle Yep. you know, 10 horses in the field and, and with the rail, it's like, if you, if you don't break, you know, it's a whole different beast than, than training in the morning. It's tough. It could be very tricky, yeah. but I do like that collateral form in the morning angle, looking how the workmate does on Saturday with an eye towards what we might expect from her on Sunday. What was the name again? Curl girl. Curl girl. I like the name too. All right, good stuff on that. And then uh, your stakes runners are, are about to make uh, some returns to the races, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, we got Bella Sophia. Um, you know, we'll run a week from Sunday at Saratoga in the Ballerina. Uh, so that's obviously, you know, grade one winning you're in for the Breeders' Cup. And then going to Vegas is getting ready to come back. You know, we kind of weren't sure she ran second in the grade one gamely. You know, we're like, how do we try to set up a second half campaign for her? But she's five. She's had a lot of races after talking to D'Amato. He's kind of said, hey, you know, let's try to go John maybe, which is the 10th of, of September into the Rodeo drive, which she won last year. And then hopefully, a, a, you know, a repeat attempt at, at a breeder's cup. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting time. And, and, you know, we're, we're getting these horses back to stakes, hopefully looking at a breeder's cup run, but the whole sport's kind of now starting. So that second half shift, you get to the Travers and then it's, it's the breeder's cups, not that far away. That's right. We've we've been focusing on it already all summer, and it's just going to tilt even more when we get into those that the uh, band of final prep races that'll be coming up in the fall. For folks that want to learn more about Medallion Partnerships, we're we're going to be having uh, some new content covering this topic. We've got we pressed Alan into service, uh, yeah. Philip. We recorded something fun the other day that we're going to do a special newsletter for with him getting into some of the, the intricacies of all that. So folks will have the opportunity to learn a lot more, or you can also go over to the TaylorMade website and learn about the partnerships on both the breeding and racing side. Let's dive into these races, the pick six at Saratoga on Saturday, which we, we kick off with um, race number six, if I have that correct yeah. in my notes we've got this nice new york bread allowance race with a with a very live looking entry projected to be at the top of the market were you were you with this entry or against in this uh, race six at saratoga on saturday i think i'm probably with the entry i think you know the, the wilson shoot i think i'm still trying to figure it out i do think you want to have some speed so i think the horse drawn on the rail for for rudy you know, it's this definitely the weaker half of the entry, but they're throwing blinkers on, stretching out from a sprint, maybe show a little bit more speed. You got size on board. And, and really, to me, it just doesn't feel like there's that much speed in here. I think you've got the horse from the rail, anticipate showing speed. I think Dr. Blute is mildly interesting, the five. He might be the fastest horse in here. Um, and I, I thought he was mildly intriguing, but best idea feels like, you know, the one that, is the reason the entry is, is even money. And, um, you know, for my six tickets or my pick six tickets, the entry is going to be a lone A and then might do some backups with Dr. Blue, maybe a, a couple others. But, um, yeah, I just try to single and get through and uh, spread. There are some other races where I think are a little more wide open. 
I have a couple to nominate for potential use in this spot, starting with number six, Dangerous Edge. I thought from a trip point of view, this horse was a little interesting, making a wide early move into the fast pace and the slop last time. So maybe at first blush, it looks like Dangerous Edge doesn't class up as well with those big the yeah. wins, two and three back coming in starter allowance and claiming company as opposed to um, as opposed to this allowance, uh, salty-looking allowance race. But I, I think there's a chance that Dangerous Edge is going to fit pretty well. And then another one, and, and this one maybe is a little bit of, uh, of, of me being a homer to our 10-strike racing fans, but, uh, but Whittington Park is interesting. This horse ran really well at Saratoga last year and I think should be able to improve in the second start off the layoff. And then the personal connection, this is a very cool female family with five winners from five starters. And the new two-year-old, Philip is named Looms Boldly. So I'm, uh, okay. I'm, I'm not getting beat by Winnington Park. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. All right. Well, I might throw that one in as a B just for the uh, just for the fun. I think I think yeah. The I, the the if I had to get off of off the the one or the five, the six was was the other kind of obvious one. I thought the two also I could have I could have thrown in. Um, you know, I think it just as an overall sequence, you can get skinny a couple of places in here. So um, you know, I, I'm going to try to hit one for you know four or five dollars, and then you know, sp spread with, with some bees later on. No, I think that makes sense. And I will be using the entry as well. I think they each actually have claims just with that speed that win for gold has shown. And then uh, the latter best idea. I agree. That's the one that's going to make it a short number, getting some class relief in this spot. They'll be on tickets as well. Let's talk about a nice looking two-year-old maiden special weight race that goes as race number seven. My eye was drawn to echo again in here, Philip being by, Gunrunner, who needs no introduction, and then both of the dams, Foles won first up as well. The Asmussen babies have been running really, really well. And I also like the fact that this one, Echo again, worked well three back with Disarm, who was such an impressive winner earlier in the meet. I was going to go with Echo again in here, but, you know, I always love to get the opinions of industry people when it comes to these maiden special weight races. Who did you like in here? Yeah, I mean, just the fact that this horse was 9-5 to five on the morning line in a, in a – a spot that felt like there you could go a bunch of different directions, I think is an indication of, of maybe the buzz ar around in the morning. Um, yeah. I mean, Asmussen feels like at this time of year at Saratoga, it just feels like he's always, always going. I was intrigued with good news rocket. I think, um, I think last time we, we did it actually summon your courage. We actually talked about this race and I liked full moon madness. who was a Michelle Nevin horse. That was a big price, but I kind of like this work pattern where, has a, a gate breeze uh, back on the 22nd. That's pretty good. Comes back with an easier half mile breeze, then comes back with another gate breeze where the horse works 47 and two fourth fastest of 129. That tells me the horse is sitting on go. Then they come back with just a slightly easier, you know, just maintenance type um, type breeze. Mods actually won with a couple first time starters. You had the horse socially selective one the other day. They paid 700,000. Um, for this horse at the two-year-old training sale. And I think the one thing right now with Moth, you're always going to get some price because traditionally he's not a great first time out, you know, win. But, you know, right now he's 10%, which I'd say is probably slightly better than what, he, what he's been in the past. It just feels like his two-year-olds are, are running better. So that was another horse. You know, I'm not going to be way against Echo again. I think obviously you have to look at the, at the, um, the horse on the rail. You know, summon your courage. I like putting blinkers on. The horse has experience. Um, you know, stretching out to six and a half, you know, kind of getting to that point in the meet now where 
you know, it's not just five and a half or six where just whoever blitzes out to the front wins. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely am with you on Echo again. But, you know, I, I'd be having – this is a race, I think, for me, if you can beat Echo again, maybe he stumbles first, doesn't break great or something. Um, you know, I do like Good News Rocket. And um, I'd probably have four A's in here with the one, two, three, five. All right. Excellent. And uh, I, I'm guessing the Good News Rocket, based on everything you said, might be your top pick if I held your feet to the fire? Just because of the price. You know, yeah. like if the – you know, I, if the five comes down and gets bet down to four to five, I probably will just back off and not not bet um, or or lessen. But if you know if the five sticks around the nine to five range and I'm getting close to eight to one, um, I'll be looking to bet the two. Let's talk about some graded stakes action in the form of the Lake Placid for these three year old fillies going a mile and a sixteenth on the inner turf with the moonlight coming back quick in thirteen days here. I still think she looks like the one to beat to me based yeah. on the, the excellent form she's shown. What do you make of her in this spot? Yeah, to me, she's just my alone A again. Um, I just think, you know, for people that aren't that familiar with European racing, that this is probably really concerning. But, you know, this would be a very typical move um, at this point in the year. You know, the Phillies only run four times this this season. She had a break over the winter. You know, I think the big thing a lot of times that's different in Europe is um, they don't run on Lasix. Well, now in these stakes races in New York, you're not running on Lasix either. So I think Lasix is a big prohibitive factor in wheeling back quick, just the dynamics of what it does to, you know, just the dehydration, et cetera. So I think the fact that the horse hasn't run on Lasix, I have no problem with the wheel back on short rest. And I just think from a pure tactical standpoint, like, she can do whatever you want, you know, she's going to be able to place herself. I don't necessarily love the rail draw, but you got enough speed to sit close. The, um, the horse I was intrigued with uh, is Koala Princess. I thought she ran really well last time. Um, just given the fact it was her first start off the Breeders' Cup, I actually liked her in the Breeders' Cup. I think she was like eight to one borderline, ended up getting bet down to the favorite. And I went back and watched that race. And I don't think she actually ran as bad as what I originally thought when I bet her in the Breeders' Cup. And I was like, oh, this horse did no running. You know, she was just so wide. Pizza Bianca got like the ride of all rides from Jose Ortiz to kind of knife through. Um, So I just think the way she came back first start of the year, I thought she ran really well. Uh, Nothing against Dolce Zell or or Eminent Victor, but, you know, those two horses are going to be five to one. She's going to be double that price. Um, and I think there could be a, another further step forward. So, um, yeah, single, single, uh, the Godolphin horse and, the, and then maybe try to get Koala Princess in there as a B or if I'm playing single horse, maybe display a big exacta, um, with her in second. I like that idea. I'm pretty much just going to press up with the moonlight. She's just the fastest of the runners signed on. I think she's got enough speed to make her own trip. Saez fits, you know, Buick did such a great job last time, but I think Saez can basically give this horse the same kind of trip, yeah. have her in position to strike, if not be in front as they turn for home. And at this point, when it comes to these uh, New York, well, really any uh, North American turf races in Appleby, we trust all others pay cash. Let's, <laughs> let's uh, go with, with the moonlight here as we'll move on to another stakes race. It's sort of fun with the three stakes in a row here. Yeah. And this one, and, and Phillies and Mares, which, you know, I always love to to pull you in on with the medallion connection and how closely you follow the division. This is the smart and fancy stakes. Four and up, Phillies and Mares going five and a half on the turf. Felt like there were a lot of ways you could go in here, a lot of trips you could get stuck into. Yeah. I ended up using three runners in this spot, but let's throw it to you for your thoughts first. 
Yeah, I think, you know, if I look at the last the last race, right, you have the caress. I think it looked like maybe on paper there was going to be a bunch of speed, right? You had Caravelle, who was, I think was drawn down on the rail. Yep. Yeah, she was drawn on the rail. They didn't kind of go, but it felt like it was going to set them. It was just going to be a really fast pace with a pace collapse. And it just didn't work out that way. Like Robin Sparkles just got loose. She would have been a pretty hard horse to have. It feels like the same exact scenario is happening here. It feels like there is a load of speed. I loved Miss J. McKay last time. Um, and she was one of my largest bets in the Saratoga meet. It just didn't work. I don't think she got the best trip. Horrible um, trip. Yeah. No, to take nothing away from the winner. Yeah. Um, but that was tough. And, and I think her and Lady Eve were the two horses I'm going to lean on. I just think from a pace perspective, I think maybe you found out. I kind of thought going in last time, Caravelle needs the lead. Um, I know there were the past races that made you think maybe as a three-year-old she didn't, but to me it felt like she just needed the lead. Um, so I think to me the pace is going to be fast. I like Lady Edith and um, and Miss J McKay. Miss J McKay would be my top pick. I just think she got really unlucky last time. Um, the weird thing to me, you know, I kind of was, um, you know, just with with Caravelle. I I just think it's so like what do they do now? You know. On her best day, she feels like the best horse in here. But, you know, maybe you kind of look back and say, you know what, maybe she's just not the same horse right now that she was. My wife left the refrigerator on. When you talk, I got to go, go go shut it. <laughs> you do that. I'll make the case for Caravelle, who – Nick, and maybe I'm being stubborn here because Nick Tamaro made fun of me for picking her last time off being uh, uh, on the best part of the track uh, two races back. But I think Caravelle – makes makes plenty of sense i i'm gonna throw out the last because i agree she was meant to be on the lead she didn't break she yeah. broke half a step slow and then had to steady out i just think it's a line through it race and i like the booking of sayas i like the outside draw they might be able to go to the lead um they might just have enough natural speed to to do that but i also i'm not going to give up on her being able to stalk and pounce a runner like Robin Sparkles, who I think really benefited from the fact that Caraval didn't break last time. Once more to the well on this one, maybe being a little stubborn. Miss J. McKay is absolute must use and really a co-A and a co-top pick for me in this spot. Desperately unlucky in the caress and unlike Caravel, still ran a race beaten less than a length despite yeah. having loads of trouble. You look back to that run three back and you made the point that on her best day, Caravel might be the best Philly, fastest Philly in the race. Miss J. McKay might be too if you key off that race yeah. three back. And I will also use number one, change of control, who just brings rock solid form and figures to the party. Um, has that inside draw, and I think could get a nice sort of mid-pack sit and has and has enough finish to be heard from late here. I'm going to try to get away with those uh, with those three in this spot. But it's a really interesting race, and you can really go a, a lot of different ways. Do you buy my case for Caravelle at all, or are you still anti? You know, I, I think the thing about her, at least you're, you should get a little bit of a price this time. You know, like my, the reason I didn't really want to bet her last time was like, well, she, she, in my opinion, she might need the lead. And from the rail, she had one way to win, and it was yeah. to go straight to the front. And I just knew she was going to be two to one. I'm like, I, I just, you know, that's terrible value in, in my mind. Here, you might get four or five to one. And I would just argue that if you, I think personally think she needs a lead, but if you think she can rate, breaking outside all the other speed gives you a ton of different options. And it could be a completely different pace scenario. So drawn on the rail saying, I think she might need the lead is a whole different scenario than, than this. So, um, you know, I wouldn't fault anybody like you could get the best horse of four or five to one like maybe she got to get a, the right kind of trip and 
you know, I'd be against her just from the pace scenario, but I wouldn't fault anybody that wants to better. And I'll probably use her defensively as a, as a backup. Fingers crossed for me there. And yeah, Nick was probably making fun of me more for the fact that I took that price on Caravelle than <laughs> she was some ridiculous can't win type option. Let's move yeah. to the grade one Alabama, the race that gives the day its name. These three-year-old fillies going a mile and a quarter on the dirt. I'll go first because my opinion couldn't be more obvious or boring in here, Philip, but I still think it might be the right one. I think Ness just looks to have this field over a barrel showed a new dimension last out with increased early speed still drew off easily to win the run in the Belmont stakes shows us that the added ground is very likely to be to her benefit. That's not something I can say about any of the other rivals today. I'm going to keep things simple. I think this is a, a, a short priced single that I'm just going to live or die with. I'm a big fan of nest. How do you see it? Yeah, it's a hundred percent. I think last time we had, well, I was, well, I was on CCO stag picked secret oath and yeah, I could have been more wrong. Um, and I'm happy just when you make the mistake, you just own it and say, listen, there were <laughs> two horses in that race and one was just significantly better than the other one. Um, you know, maybe it was a smaller field, this a bigger field, maybe just the race dynamics kind of turned it into a match race a long way from home. But, you know, I mean, uh, there was one winner when they entered the stretch. And in general, those horses just happen to be better than the other ones. So I don't want to get creative. I'll be running 100% of my money through through nest and there'd be loan a no b's and just you know um you know if i get to a point where i've hit a bunch of prices i may hedge in on a win side or something but you know uh, i won't be betting any tickets that don't have only nest let's talk about race number 11 we've got a thirty-five thousand dollar claimer going a mile and a 16th on the inner turf and a big full field sign on if we're playing this pick six on saturday how are we getting paid yeah i think this is these races are my personal kryptonite because it feels like uh, if I ever spread, I just hit the favorite. And <laughs> anytime I want to get narrow, it's a 20 to one bomb. Um, you know, I, I think I'll, I've set my ticket up to where I'm going to be able to spread in here. Um, so, you know, I may have a, you know, come back to the, to like a horse, like wicked fast. Um, I just think Jorge Abreu, the connections might just want to try to win a race at the meet, you know, dropping down in class. Um you know, it's going to get a little bit, she's going to get a little bit of, uh, even a little bit of class relief. Dorsa was like mildly intrigued why that's going to be a big price is Sonic Speed, the 10, who's 15 to 1. I mean, this horse was like in the parking lot last time coming wide and just at a critical point lost a bunch of ground. Like Chess's Dream and a couple of the other horses got down on the fence. You pick up Pratt, who's riding just lights out right now. Um, you know, this is a horse that will absolutely be an A for me. Like, it's going to have to run faster. There's no question. But I actually thought last time, given how wide this horse was on the turn, um, he actually put in a, a really good run, and, and it looked like I mean, he was going to get beat six, seven, eight lengths, and he only ended up getting beat like two lengths, and he might be a bigger price. Um, so that's a horse I definitely want to have on my tickets. You know, I kind of focused on the on the, the four, six, seven, and ten um, as my four A's, but um, I'll be spreading. I think the other thing, too, is I will be looking like if Chess's dream just does drawing off the also eligible list. You know, I mean, I think that's something that you and I both know horse players really have to pay attention to because in these multi-race bets, you're just not thinking that far out. Um, and you can, you know, a horse that Chess's dream is probably going to be five to one-ish in the in a single race bet and, you know, could be paying 15 to one in, in a, you know, in a, in a pick six type bet because people just forget that the horse could draw in. You mentioned all the numbers I was going to talk about, though I did have a fairly strong opinion 
as my lone A on number six, Saratoga Flash. I think this is easier company today. And then the last race, I think, was a little bit better than it looked. Another one of these middle move into a fast pace, weakening late. Yeah. So it's probably better than the bare form suggests. I think Castellano, you mentioned how well Pratt's riding. How about how well Castellano's riding? I think this horse is going to get a positive ride, be in the hunt throughout. And then the cases are just more, much more basic on the seven Aviano and the four Wicked Fast for me. Aviano fits well off the run two back. I think you can ignore the last run going farther wide throughout. And then Wicked Fast has shown a good closing kick and fits on figures in form. Six, seven, and four for me. It sounds like Philip has it four, ten, six, and seven. On the B line, definitely you're going to want the 14 if uh, Chess's Dream draws in. And then I'm getting the impression you want to use as many as you can afford on that uh, backup line. Is that fair to say, or do you want to name check, uh, number check? No, no, I think that's right. You know, um, I just got to a point. I think the, the biggest thing people have to think about, right, you're constructing your your pick six ticket. What's your budget? How much can you afford? And then the big mistake, you know, I, there's uh, anybody that's on social media, you can certainly pick through people's tickets and everything else. But the thing I've really realized just when assessing my own handicapping is, you know, I want to try to play my opinion. Whenever I make money, it's because my opinion's right, not because I've just thrown a bunch of darts out there and said, hey, you know, so I want to try to weight it. Obviously, if I'm, you know, I'm not somebody that's betting $4,000 and pick six combos. Um, So I just really have to try to figure out what's the best combination for me. And I think some of the best advice Jonathan's ever given me as he said, hey, people will go spend um, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, two hours going through a sequence, and then they spend five minutes thinking about how they're going to bet the race or the or the, or the the combos. So for me, one thing um, I've really done over the last year, and it has had a significant positive impact on my, on my horse playing, um, more so in multi-race bets and single-race bets, I have my opinion, it's a lot easier to figure out. I, I mainly bet win and back up and exact to the play. So it's very simplistic from a single race bet, but on these, it's a lot more time. What's my budget? How do I want to allocate it? How am I leveraging my opinion? And, um, you know, for me, I'll try to focus on the four, six, seven, and 10, and then I'll have, you know, maybe a, a, a ticket that has, has a bunch. Gotcha. All right. Good stuff, Phil. Appreciate your time today. And again, going to be hearing a lot more about tailor-made partnerships and medallion racing on the, the network soon. And we encourage folks to sign up for our free newsletter. Uh, we're going to have some good stuff in that coming up. And it's just a great way in general to pay attention to all the content we have coming out on the In The Money Media Network. You can sign up for that in themoneypodcast.com slash email. Philip, we'll be talking soon. All right. Thanks, Pete. I appreciate it. Fixed Odds Betting, powered by Betmakers, is back and in effect at Monmouth Park, and the early returns are fantastic for horse players, with 70% of winners paying more on Fixed Odds than they are on the tote. Soon, Fixed Odds wagering will be available throughout the state. Actually, it already is through the uh, Monmouth Park Bets website, and soon it's going to be even more available through the app. This is an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands because the odds you bet are the odds you get. You're going to hear a lot more about fixed odds betting opportunities all across the In The Money Media Network. Next up on the show, very excited to turn our attention to Monmouth Park in this segment brought to you by our friends at uh, Betmakers. And of course, Monmouth Park itself will introduce first from the Betmakers organization, not wearing his customary pink today, <laughs> but I'm sure he's got a closet full of pink jackets and pink shirts. He is Dallas Baker. Dallas, how was your time in Saratoga? Yeah, great, Pete. Great to catch up with you and the team up there as always. And a, a really good conference put on uh, by Spectrum Gaming up there earlier in the week. Um, 
it's great when you can have a conference that's all pretty much focused on racing. A lot of the time you go to the conferences and it's gaming, it's sports betting, and then racing sort of sitting in the corner over there. But uh, I think some really good things have come out of the conference and it's great to hear fixed odds on the tip of everyone's tongue. And uh, yeah, it's been, uh, it's, it's quite pleasing to see how the movement has gained its momentum and uh, where it's at now. And I think it's an exciting time for the racing industry as we've been speaking about all season from Monmouth. We might have to pull you in for one of our early week shows when we're not so focused on getting through a, a lot of uh, form to, to talk a little bit more about, you know, that the next evolution with fixed odds and, and go a little bit deeper into the conference. But we'll put a pin in that because now we're going to bring in a man who's been doing a phenomenal job the past couple of seasons covering Monmouth Racing over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. Somebody I had the pleasure of hanging with uh, some last year at Saratoga. Hopefully our paths will cross in person again soon, but we'll do it uh, virtually here to talk about this Saturday card at Monmouth. Here is Eric Solomon. Eric, what's up? Not much, Peter. Good to be here. Thank you. Let's just dive right in, guys. We're going to start off by talking about this win early pick five, and we'll give you some thoughts from both potentially a, uh, a horizontal betting perspective but also from uh, from a fixed odds perspective, we kick things off with race number one. That's the thing about this win early pick five. It starts early, 12-15. I think it's the nation's first pick five still at this time of year. We've got a field of eight in this $12,000 claimer going five and a half furlongs on the turf. Looks like, uh, at least according to the morning line, might be a little bit of a fight for favoritism between the number five baby boomer and the number seven trilogy how did you see this one dallas in terms of uh how you want to open the market yeah pretty similar to the morning line actually pete and as you said there's a battle for favoritism and even you could throw great blake down the bottom in it it's pretty much five to two or three dollars fifty trilogy three to one or four dollars baby boomer and seven to two or four dollars forty great blake and then even the others um analyze this and that at five to one as is a shard at five to one so a pretty competitive market to start the day on Saturday, Pete. As far as the win early pick five goes, Eric, what do you think your numbers will be? Yeah, th this is a total spread race for me. Th these uh, 12-5, 10-5 claimers at, at Monmouth on the turf are always so competitive. Um, always, always fun races. Um, Baby Boomer and Trilogy both have kind of – this is round three for them. They, they've kind of traded blows, each one winning at this condition in, in their last couple starts. I think they're both horses that, that need to be on the ticket, but also, you know, taking short prices on them, not ideal. I, I thought the best value in this race was on Assad, the four horse. Um, going to make him my top pick. Uh, only, only one for nine on turf, but eight of those races were at two turn races. So the last race was his first turf start. Took a little bit of a bump. I don't think it was that severe, but but was not ridden very aggressively, settling near the back of the pack. And, and this horse definitely has more speed than that. Uh, Jockey changed today, more aggressive rider with uh, Vargas taking over. Um, he, he's had uh, a few nice uh, prices over the last couple weeks here. Uh, I think this horse is going to be closer to the pace. I really like the way he closed last time out. Um, I, I think it's a better race second time sprinting for this one. So, so that's where I am. Uh, using Assad as uh, one of my three A's with a uh, baby boomer and trilogy going to back up with uh, great Blake with Paco Lopez. Of course I, I don't love, but you know, going, you know, going this deep in the first leg, I'm not going to get knocked out with a Paco Lopez horse, not having him on my ticket. Then the other horse I thought was a little bit interesting was the two victors dynasty. Um, 
tough stretch of races at part, you know, two of them were taken off the turf. He fell over a fallen horse at parks three back. Didn't love the last turf race at Delaware, but he was very wide on a racetrack where uh, rails were all the way out. He was out in that middle part of the track where, where horses seem to be struggling that part of the track that day at Delaware. So m- maybe a better trip today That race four back would put him right in the picture here. So I'm going to go five in that race, uh, four, five, seven with the A's two and the eight as a B. I like your case on uh, on your top pick quite a bit there. It makes a lot of sense in form terms when you consider the trip that Assad had the last day. I, I, I might be following you in, um, maybe maybe getting uh, maybe getting some looking to the what the fixed odds price is going to do on Assad. What did you say you had him at the Dallas? Uh, five to one at the moment, Pete. Yeah. I'd be happy enough with that, I think, to take a little bit of a flyer, given how close that horse was, was to the top two in the market with a less-than-ideal trip. Let's move on to race number two, where we've got a starter allowance for three and up fillies and mares, going five and a half on the dirt. Just a field of six here. Uh, Eric, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, I'm going to try and get out of this race using uh, just two horses. That's a pretty wide-open race. Um Top pick is we don't believe her. Uh, I, I think this horse is the only horse that's won four times at this current meet, looking to win for the fifth time. J- just loving racing here right now. Is moving up the class ladder, but but re- really like the last couple efforts from this horse. Um, just the, the kind of horse that just can make their own trip, which I think is important in a race like this. There's a lot of speed signed on in this race. And, and number two, Midtown Rose is the other horse I'm going to use. I think is the speed of the speed, which um, was was up. Didn't really fire last time out facing a, a really quick Wesley Ward Philly, uh, Golden Bell in a five furlong race and uh, non-winners of two other than allowance race. So this, this is a nice drop in class for this horse. I, I think these, these are the two principles in this race that I'm going to try and get out of here with. Interesting looking at the morning line pricing in this one, Dallas, with the, with the six runners, and they're all priced between five to two and six to one. Do you see it as competitive as, as that? Well, pretty close to it, Pete. Um, our longest price is to Tiger Lily at around about the eight or nine to one mark. So, yeah, it's again pretty similar and pretty much the same theme, same theme as the previous race. You know, there's Three or four, they're contending for favoritism, which at the moment we have, we don't believe her as the two to one favorite. Um, we've been very, um, very conservative with the Villa runners. You learn your lesson pretty quickly with them at the moment. And uh, when they're hot, they're very hot. So, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we keep them short and see what happens in the betting. But two to one is your favourite at the moment. Uh, Midtown Rose, five to two with Parco, $3.50 decimal. Uh, next pick in the market above par, tick over three to one, $4.20. And four to one, ladies, either five to one. Um, Ray, are we there yet? The hinge of this early pick five is race number three, where we've got $30,000 claimers going five and a half on the dirt. Dallas, we'll, we'll keep you here. Another one just very unusual in morning line terms, where you have a five to two and then three at three to one. Very, very competitive short fields, though they are at Monmouth. And races where, if you can, in these races where seemingly so many have chances, do what Eric did in the last leg and get it down to one or two. Maybe you can build some equity pick five wise, but what are we looking at in terms of the fixed odds for this one? Well, as you said, it's pretty unusual for a morning line to have uh, three ranked on the second rung really, isn't it? But that's pretty much how we're seeing it. We've got Vikram and Lord Berry equal favorites at $3.60, which is a tick over five to two ahead of the top two Ridge Point. Um, and at number two, they're both. I'll, I'll leave the pronunciation to you, Pete. They're uh, they're both three to one or four dollars, and they're not far away from them. Cajun Mandate four dollars eighty. So 
the theme of the early races continues where there's, uh, yeah, try it. Pick the favourite is probably harder than picking the winner. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty funny. Yo Ness Round Donkern, I think. Thank is, you. I think that's what that thing is called. Eric, who's going to win this race? <laughs> Uh, and that, that's where I wound up on uh, Yones. I'm going to go with Yones round on Kern. Okay, that's that uh, sounds better Morgan, actually. Maybe. Um, my, my thought with this this is one where where I I, I definitely another spread race for me. Um, I, I thought this horse is making start number sixteen this year, so, so definitely a throwback kind of horse. I, I like what I've seen in the last few races. I broke them or beat uh, Open Maidens back in the slop. Uh, on the 23rd of June back at Delaware since then has run three strong races uh, was beaten by Ridgepoint two back, but, but you know, my, my concern there is, is Ridgepoint has kind of been beating up on some small overmatch fields where he's had a definite tactical advantage. I think there's other speed in this race. Um, so, so I think Jonas round on Kern can uh, kind of come by, go over to the top and beat, beat them all late. Um, Vikram, uh, I'm assuming he's going to run today. He is cross-entered on, uh, or well, it's fr- Friday today. I'm assuming he's going to run on Saturday. I think he's going to scratch out of the race on Friday. It's a much more competitive race that he's entered in on Friday. Haven't seen the scra- uh, scratches aren't posted yet, but assuming he runs in this race, uh, he's going to be on the A-line for me. Uh, really like that effort too back at Belmont. Uh, t- tough race last time out. Ended up kind of getting stuck uh, three deep on a speed-friendly course where where I'll, long shot took advantage of you know, just kind of came through the rail and, and dominated that race. I, I will cover with Ridgepoint, just uh, the only four time winner in the field, everybody else. Uh, um, yeah. Excuse me. Uh, to, looking for three straight, like the Danny Santino's in here. And then I, I thought Karis was an interesting horse to cover with. I, I really didn't get the ride for this one coming out of that same race that Vikram was in last time. This horse is more of a closer, uh, was cutting back. So, so to see that horse up dueling for the lead in between horses was a little odd last time out. Uh, rider switch today. Paco comes off. Nick Juarez comes off I, I, on. I, I do think this horse has a chance as a closing sprinter here, maybe a longer price. So I'm going to cover with that one as well. A 2-5 being the A, 1-4 being B horses for me. Race number four, we've got two-year-old maiden Phillies going five furlongs on the turf. Eric, we'll keep it with you for, for your thought on this one. Is this a race you can get narrow or are you going to have to spread a little bit again? Um, I, I'm going to go narrow here. Um, this is where I, I really kind of races a two-year-old maiden special weight uh, fillies going five furlongs on the turf. Really like using the race lens for this uh, kind of race, uh, trying to get, you know, to, to confirm if you've got a good favorite, especially, you know, for the first time starter like Navy Goat. Um, I just, all, all signs are pointing to this horse for me here. This, this was a horse by army mule. This, this is a horse, freshman sire winning at, at a nice clip. I think 14% first time starters right now has one horse that has been on the turf, uh, dance macabre, uh, who was a winner at colonial and is running in the Bolton landing on Sunday over at Saratoga. They stud fee for this horse $7,500 they paid $450,000 for this horse so obviously this horse has some speed something that you definitely want to see in a five furlong turf race especially here um outside post Arno Delacour I, I just think everything is kind of pointing in this direction uh the dam has one other horse to rate to race it's an Indiana bred who was 0 for 6 on the dirt switched to the turf and now has uh won the last two starts uh third and the other start and the three starts on turf so all, all signs are kind of pointing to Navy Goat for me I'll also cover with uh, the 
four horse in this race uh, for uh, Kathleen DeMasi, Stone in Love. Looking at the pedigrees, this is one that, that definitely has more of a turf-looking pedigree, more than ready out of a war chant mare. The race at Parks on the Dirt on, on debut, uh, on paper, it looks pretty bad. I don't think it was as bad as it looks on paper when you go back and watch the race. Just, just kind of broke a step slow, and it forced a kind of steady, was, it was at the back of the field, made a nice middle move, and then had nothing left for the stretch there. Switch to turf there. I think, uh, you know, more than ready, 14% first turf there. So well, maybe a price there, but but I, I think Navy Goat is definitely the one in this race. I, I definitely take your point on on Navy Goat. Some good, I like the little pedigree angle there, and 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 certainly Arno Delacour can have one ready uh, being trained over at the Fair Hill Training Center. Puts a lot of fitness into horses in general. What did you do with Navy Goat price-wise, Dallas? Well, I'm going to show you and impress you with my U.S. dialogue dialect, Pete. What about the two bullet workouts? <laughs> very good. Very good. I wouldn't have known what that meant at all three years ago. But, yeah, <laughs> um, that's one thing that with the with the first starters, bullet workouts, all horses resuming or whatever. As you know, I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but the market really gravitates towards that on top of everything that Eric said. So pretty easy to market favourite. Two to one at the moment. Seemed from all the from the confidence that Eric's sounding, two to one sounds a pretty good price. Uh, the other thing there, the other one that Eric mentioned, I should say, Stone in Love, it's around about 10 to one. So, um you know, they were one of the things that I always talk about value. Values are normally in the top end of the market. And I, I think, you know, where people need to understand getting 30 to 1 about a horse that should be 50 to 1 isn't actually value. It's actually trying to get your better values getting 2 to 1 about a horse that should be 3 to 2 or something like that, whereas where you can really find the value. But that's, again, a lesson for another day, Pete. But, yeah, 2 to 1, Navy Go. Uh, 7 to 2, next pick, Explosive Fixed Change, $4.40. And then around about the five or 11, five to one or eleven to two mark, uh, six dollars for Gun of Gold, and she's so bearish, six dollars fifty. And I missed the top one, five dollars fifty tapestry colours or nine to two, in fractional world. All right, let's move on to. We'll do two more races. We'll we'll pay off this early pick five that we've been chatting about, and then we'll zip ahead to the feature. But the pay leg for the win early pick five is race number five, a starter allowance for three and up fillies and mares going six furlongs on the dirt. Let's start with the market overview. In the morning line, looks pretty close between the one and the two. Is that similar to the way it's going to open up for the actual wagering? Yeah, we'll open Claudio favourite. He's just red hot at the moment. Like he just all of his horses that should be winning are winning and uh, and winning well too. So um, yeah, not much between the top two. Uh, Claudio uh, Joe Mike Jim will go up as a two to one favourite ahead of Radapante at three dollars fifty or five to two in the fractionals. And then the next pick is Itsy Betsy Betty down the uh, number six at uh, seven to two or four dollars and forty cents. Eric, well, how are we going to get paid in this early uh, pick five? Uh, I'm gonna. This is my single leg. I'm all about Radapante here uh, on the rail, um, and this is kind of you know this is the second thirty thousand uh, dollar starter allowance in the sequence, but. You know, this is kind of one of those things where, where, you know, kind of keeping notes on conditions, I think, is important. Uh, you know, that race two is a much tougher condition for the 30 allowance, where, where the horses in race two, um, none of those horses would be eligible for this race. This race is uh, horses that have started for a $25,000 claiming tag and have uh, never won three times. So it's a softer field. So 
on paper, Radapronte looks like she's moving up in class. Actually, this is a softer field than what she faced against last time. And, and she uh, ran a big race against We Don't Believe Her last time out, uh, who talked about in race two, I, I think certainly is has a good chance of winning that race. This horse I followed back from Oaklawn, came to Oaklawn last year from or at the beginning of the year from Southern California. Ran, ran some nice races out there, clipped off two straight wins, comes out here for Jerry Hollendorfer. Uh, tough race, uh, first uh, first local start, but but that, that, that race two weeks ago was strong. I, I think best speed in the race, rail post, I, I think takes this field gate to wire, going to single with this one, uh, trying to beat that two-horse Joe Mike Jim, who j- just kind of gets close and then kind of fades late. J- just I don't really like that kind of pattern, and, you know, especially with a horse that's coming up, facing a horse that's had you know, a couple wins in a row you know, not too long ago. All right, we'll zip ahead to stakes action in race number nine, where we've got the the Island going a mile and a 16th on the dirt, highly motivated, who was so impressive um, the last day in the Monmouth Cup, is back in here. And we've also got uh, Forza Oro, a horse uh, who was once very, very well thought of making the return to the races off a long layoff for Hollandor for now and Paco Lopez. What did you do with the market between those two? It seems like it's going to be one of those two. I'm guessing who you made favorite. Very, very close, but yeah, $2.50 or three to two or six to four, depending on what part of the world you're in for fractional language. Highly motivated has gone up favorite just ahead of, um, of Forza Diora at $2.80. Uh, so, you know, whatever, whatever that fractionally is and uh, promise keeper, uh, isn't next in the betting at six to one, seven dollars. Riding with Biden is the one that is third line of betting at five to one or six dollars. So yeah, as uh, as your forecast, be pretty competitive race. Naturally, with a horse coming back um, of such a long layoff, it's a bit of suck it and see from a bookmaking point of view. Tend to be a little bit conservative, but if there's no signals there, then you really reach to get it out pretty quickly. You know, like it's um, you know, so that that. That could be um, that seven to four fraction or whatever could easily become four to one if there's no if there's no positive market force and um, but you know then again if there is look out. <laughs> Eric, how do you see this one from a wagering perspective? You know, I I don't love either of the two favorites. Uh, obviously, you know, Forzadoro, really good horse, came back with with such a strong effort last summer at Saratoga, coming off a, a long layoff. Now coming back off another long layoff. Does switch barns. Uh, it's not a huge concern to me. I, I know uh, Hollendorf has a lot of other business for uh, Don Alberto Stable, so it's not a huge concern. Uh, but again, it, it's there's definitely some unknown there, and, and to take a short price on that one is not that enticing. And you know, highly motivated. It was not a very deep field in the Mammoth Cup. It beat his stablemate Pipeline that day, and then you know, Informative, who's back in this race, it was kind of a back in third, a little further back. And, and then the other horses that were in, it just was not a very strong field. Pipeline looks to be cutting back to a sprint next week, maybe uh, in uh, the forego on the Travers undercard. I, I ended up riding with Biden on top. I think that's where the value lies in this race. Really like the last two races at Delaware and Laurel. Um, you know, good second to tax in the slop at the, in the Battery Park on the Del Cap undercard. Came back and just absolutely dominated Gate to Wire and the deputed testimony. This is definitely a, a, a rising class, but I, I like this horse can win on the front end. Can also, if uh, you know, Forza de Oro, highly or uh, Promise Keeper, both might be a little keen coming off the layoff. He can kind of track them. I just think the horse is in good form and, and has a chance to upset this group. 
Yeah, I like the pace angle. I feel like riding with Biden could definitely prove to be the best speed in this spot. Interesting, eight to one morning line. Dallas had, had the fixed odds price at, at five to one, which I feel like is uh, is probably more more correct. But I, I might row in with you with riding with Biden in uh, in the feature at Mammoth on Saturday, guys. We're just about out of time. Really appreciate you coming on here. You can hear, folks, how much work. Eric puts into this and the institutional knowledge he has. And that's why you should be reading his Monmouth thoughts and selections um, every racing day over at in the money And if you're a New Jersey resident, you can get start. You don't just have to be at Monmouth anymore, Dallas, right? Well, you can now, uh, you can now play from anywhere in the state through the, uh, th- through the website and, and hopefully soon th- through the app, uh, let folks know where they can go to sign up. Yeah, monmouthbets.com, Pete, is uh, where it starts at the moment. The app's in the process, so should be up and running in the next couple of weeks. And when that's up and running, people are going to be hearing a lot about monmouthbets.com. <laughs> <laughs> I like the sound of it. Very excited to cover all the content that's going to be coming online, and yep. we wish everybody Godspeed on Saturday. Thanks, guys. Thank Thanks, you very much. Take care. Thanks, Eric. This next segment brought to you by our good friends at Gainsway from top international bloodlines to rising stars on American soil. Gainsway's put together a stallion roster that is not only primed for future success, but currently making its mark on the track led by Caraconti's rising star, Spenderella. You're going to see an action actually Saturday night at Del Mar in the grade one Del Mar Oaks, a race I think she looks really, really good in. Make sure to check out the entire roster for 2022 and see for yourself the power, passion, and performance of Gainsway. To learn more, go to Gainsway.com. Last but not least, we have Baby Talk, sponsored by our friends at Gainsway Farm. And to talk about this uh, Saturday segment of two-year-old racing from both uh, New York and California, we bring in a new guest to these airwaves. I'm very excited to have on. I think she started writing about horse racing in the Blood Horse when she was uh, not much older than my nine-year-old daughter <laughs> is right now. Um, she is Carly Silver. Carly, how are things? Things are great. How about you? I'm hanging in there. I'm coughing, but I'm able to hit the mute button in time, which is good. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved in horse racing. So I started writing, as you mentioned, for the Blood Horse when I it was I had my own column on bloodhorse.com um, in 2004. So that would have been uh, when I was 13. And have been doing really started out analyzing pedigrees at a young age, picked Smarty Jones for the Derby for and had the chutzpah to send my proto article on after he won the Derby that year to some media contacts and really went from there. I've been uh, a turf writer for the better part of two decades now, spent the last 10 years working in publishing in New York City and am still um, in digital content management and really have never stopped analyzing, betting, really delving into pedigree. So I'm so excited to be here. What is it that attracted you to horse racing and specifically like the pedigree side of the game? Can you describe what the allure was for you? So I'm a historian and genealogist by training. So I, my background is as a public historian and having written about history for everybody from the Smithsonian to the Atlantic and whatever. So honestly, the farther back, the better. However, in terms of pedigrees, it's just, it's sort of like, it's almost like a recipe. It's like you put this and this together and maybe you're able to crack it. Chances are, 
more often than not, it turns out tasting completely different than you imagined. But it honestly, when you're able to get it right, or it's almost like you're reading, you're reading a language that you don't understand, and then it it's hard to translate again. <laughs> but it, it's a fascinating look at history because you're able to look at how you know one party influences another, and you know if you can chop it up in a way that it makes sense, it 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 really catches the eye. And it, it's something that I'm taking it. You don't only want to do in historical terms, but something that you feel like you can put this lens on current races, like the ones we're going to be talking about in a minute at Saratoga and Del Mar on Saturday, and and maybe help you see a little bit of the future. Do you think that's fair to say? I think so. I hope so. I, you know, again, my my background is really looking at history, but again, being able to stay on top of the races today, see who's doing what, and hopefully bring that bring that to bear in terms of understanding is you know is is what i hope to be able to do whether or not uh it will actually you know come into play we'll see <laughs> well we'll we'll put the theory to the test and of course you know whatever happens on saturday is no uh particular marker as to whether or not it's a good long term plan but you know as gamblers as horse racing fans we we try to latch on to a few data points and, and try to find oh, sure. some signal where we can, right? I mean, that, Honestly, that, that's the name of the game. It's one way of trying to understand the world around us. It doesn't mean it's the only way it's, it, it is a point of information as you and I talked about um, last week. It really is trying to have everything add up together and make it make sense. And it never really makes sense fully, but there's always an explanation and always a way trying to crack a fascinating a puzzle that is almost impossible to crack otherwise. Speaking of handicapping puzzles, of puzzles in general, let's talk about Saratoga's seventh race on Saturday. We've got these two-year-old Colts made in special weights going six and a half, an interesting distance, six and a half on the dirt, definitely bringing some stamina into play. We've got two runners who've run so far, and the rest of this field are first-time starters. I've certainly noticed that this meet in particular, it does seem like having a race over the track has been a little bit of an advantage. I'll ask it this way. Are you inclined to look towards the two runners who've had a start already or one of the six first-time starters who are signed on here? It's a good question. I think, you know, I'm always partial to looking at some of the first-time starters and saying, okay, this is a blank canvas. What can I do with this as a handicapper? I think, I know that having a race over the surface can really, can, is always helpful, but at this stage, they develop so quickly that it sort of could be anything. And a lot of times I get a lot of value out of comparing the works, especially if um, they're working the same distance or um, the same day. That makes perfect sense. Where is your eye drawn in this spot? It's a good point. Um, as I think a lot of people were my, I was definitely drawn by the one expected value, which, you know, flatter is not exactly a sire that necessarily inspires a lot of, you know, two-year-old um, confidence at first. However, the way that this horse has been working consistently, as even a, down to a couple of days ago, really was eye-catching. I mean, you also see that, um, you know, you have, a nice dose of speed up there from with Henny Hughes as a dam sire and, you know, just doing some digging, trying to sort of see, okay, we're, could, you know, are these works maybe backed up by a, 
um, by, you know, the pedigree. I, that's the, that's the great thing about research is that you're always relearning new things and flatters already had six winners of five and a half and six furlongs this year. So I think that the turn of for turn of foot that this horse is showing and, you know, the dam being a stakes winner over six furlongs, I'm actually, I'm actually very excited about seeing expected value run. I think there's, I think that sort of lives up to the name, obviously being one of the favorite horses, it may or may not be a good bang for your buck, but I think that there's plenty to like um, about this horse. I'm also, you know, the thing about Saratoga and Del Mar is that you're always, you're getting hundreds of, if, if not a thousands, if not millions spent on beautifully bred horses. So you're always going to see something you like. The question is whether or not they're good enough to beat each other, really, because it's throwing, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of babies really, you know, into, um, into, into, into the boxing ring. And I think that that's where the workouts come in for me because if they haven't finished ahead of each other, which sometimes they have or they haven't, it's about seeing, okay, well, has this one finished ahead of, of, you know, in, um, in the works or just, um, you know, where can we try and, and glean some information? What are your thoughts? I was interested in expected value as well, not least because it looks like according to workout reports that Flavian Pratt has been working this horse from for basically a month, not every time, but the idea that, that that Pratt has worked this horse as much as a month ago and in the most recent work and is deciding to to land here, I just think that's that's that might be a little bit of interesting signal. And I like the fact that this has been a very productive dam. You mentioned uh, Henny Hughes being the dam sire. Well, Midnight Visit has had four to make it to the races, and three of them have won. And you know, longtime listeners to the show know. That's one of my pet angles in these maiden races that a lot of people don't pay attention to is the idea of the dam that, uh, you know, with a variety of sires has been able to produce winners. She's been bred to looking at Lucky and into mischief and and, and union rags and had winners from all of them. So I'm I'm very interested. You don't I don't necessarily love the inside at six and a half for a first time starter, but I think you might be compensated in price for uh, for for winning connections in this spot. Are there any others that you were uh, interested in, in putting a spotlight on? And so as soon as my eyes really got off the, oh my gosh, look at how beautifully bred majority of these horses are, which is sort of like, you know, looking at the shiny thing in the corner um, because all of them, most of them are really quite spectacularly bred. Um, I stepped away from that, said, okay, well, six and a half first time out is a little bit farther, but let me see if they've actually looks like they're showing a little bit of potential. And I think some of them may get better as they go, especially the further out, further um, on the outside you go. I think like people are seem, you know, high on classic legacy in terms of pedigree, which with our collector doing so nice, people forget that our collector didn't win it too. And I think that with that pedigree and similar to, to game change, there's maybe the one directly inside um, of them, which is Spinzar, has a little bit of a better shot again. I love Shug at Saratoga. I think you can't really, I mean, it's just, I'm, I'm a sucker for, again, historical connection. But I think um, on, I think it was was the 14th of August, he went 48 and four for four furlongs. And for me, the reason that the comma I was, yes, it's a good time, but he ran faster than Blazing Sevens, who was a really impressive maiden winner over Batflip, who was um, 
uh, who's the four in this race and finished way back in his debut, isn't on uh, my radar. But I remember seeing that race and catching um, that, catching my eye. So the fact that this horse worked better than a, a you know an impressive maiden winner wasn't was one thing. The other thing was he's a maternal grandson of Fleet Indian, who's obviously was a champion older uh, champion female sprinter, I believe, or champion older mare. It is currently eluding me. I apologize, but I know I'm going to, I feel like the, I feel, you know, sort of a, I feel I should know. I might have been shipping older. I can't even remember anymore, but, um, but I like the pedigree. I am always interested in seeing sort of the babies that Shug has. And I think that looks like he's got a good turn of foot. We'll see, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it turns out. Back in, uh, yeah, that was a minute ago when Fleet Indian was doing her stuff. On yeah, I know that's the thing, is the fact yeah. that that is a minute ago now is <laughs> boggling the mind. Yeah, boggling but, the mind. Huge, huge campaign in uh, back in, in 2006, I think it was, when there was just ones beside her, her name. Yeah, she in was every the champion older man. Yes. Yeah, yeah, she won the Bell Dame that year. She won the Personal Ensign that year. Just an amazing, an amazing uh, uh, career that she ended up having. And I'm very glad, obviously, you know, um, look, we, we, we got to pay the bills around here. And anytime we have an opportunity to, uh, to, to highlight a horse with Gainesway, uh, Gainesway connections, uh, that that's always a good, a good thing for us as well. Who are the co-owners of, of Spinzar being a, uh, being a son of Tappet. And then there's also one worth mentioning for sure in this spot, the nine to five favorite, on the morning line that has some tappet blood in there on, on the damn side in uh, echo again, who David Aragona made the nine to five morning line favorite with that gun runner tappet cross. That mm. that's one that certainly needs to be mentioned in any uh, discussion of this race. I would think. I think so. And as you know, gun runner really just has come out of the gate extraordinarily well as, as a young sire. And I think he, I mean, he's done well this summer. I think that he, I mean, this is a bit of a, a bit of a strong potential at this stage, but he's giving me into mischief vibes. Different type of horse, you know, of of different type of runner, but the sheer dominance that he's shown at this at this stage in terms of you know the the way his ru- runners have run one, two, and you know grade ones and just dominated is it's been is amazing. Yeah, it's been amazing historical success. Let's just take a couple of minutes. To pivot to uh, the race at Del Mar, we want to talk about where we've got two-year-old maiden fillies going one mile on the turf in the second race on Saturday night. And a field of nine will go postward here. How did you see this one? Was there a, a pedigree that, that that stood out to you in this bunch? There were a couple here and some, okay, so I will admit that I'm a sucker for historical connection, as you mentioned. And there were a couple here that... um. Uh, that I really liked just from a pedigree angle alone from kind of historical connection, but just some familiar names. So the eight, three strands um, empire maker tends to get, it can get a very good turf runner. As we know, there's also a champion Canadian grass horse under the second dam. And of course, Umberto Rispoli is one of the best in the irons at Del Mar. I think that this horse, I believe ran on dirt last time out and could really improve off of the switch to turf. Um, I think that that, that was one that, that I know caught my eye. The other two of the others that really were interesting was Queensy, who's the number two. She ran okay. Last time out, she was fourth. 
I think she gave significant room to improve. And, you know, this is, we're, I think that this female family tends to do better at some shorter distances, even, you know, maybe not on turf. We have uh, grade one winner, Dearest Tricksky, Dearest Tricksky under the second dam. And she wasn't actually that far back in her last start, even though she was fourth. And I think, you know, if she gets a good clean trip, she might be able to kick free. And um, she already beat the five um, La Paloma Blanca in her last start. And, you know, the Juan J. Hernandez and Peter Miller combination, I think, is a pretty deadly one. So I would watch for those three to, um, you know, to maybe be potential standouts. I like that idea. I'll give a quick shout out to the number four, always at ease in this spot, who had one of those debuts that you would just think she'd be able to build off of, ended up splitting the field, looking green. Um, Keep the Sormoa trainer. You expect them to get better second time out. Has some fairly gaudy numbers with maiden second uh, timeout type runners. We'll see what this daughter of uh, twirling candy has. But at the morning line of seven to two with Ryan Curatolo, who's been sort of quietly having a good Del Mar meet as well for uh, DeSormo, who's two for nine with his limited starters. That, that was another one I wanted to at least uh, give a shout out to in this race at, at Del Mar. Did you give her any, uh, any chance? I did. I, I agree that I think her, um, her first time out was green. And I think that, you know, she seems like a smart filly who could probably get, you know, get her, le- if she gets her legs under her and again, gets a clean trip, I think there's quite a bit of potential there. I liked what I saw and, you know, so much can depend on a good trip on everything going right in the day of. So I'm, I'm intrigued to see where she may end up. Carly, thank you so much. Really appreciate you joining us. We'll be bothering you again soon. Impressive knowledge of pedigrees and a passionate racing fan and uh, great to have you on with us today thanks so much for having me that's going to do it for this edition of the show want to thank all of today's guests especially our uh, partners up at woodbine for this big weekend of racing want to take this time to remind folks about the trf barbecue at the barn i believe it's sold out another ticket or two may become available if you're interested in joining us reach out to kim weir probably through the contact page over at our page with those folks, trfinc.org slash players. But I also want to let you know about something very special. Uh, well, I hope it's very special that we're going to be doing. You see all these bottles behind me. Well, we're going to add a new silent auction item to the list. Uh, what we'll, we'll call it just a whiskey tasting. We'll probably eat some food too. But come hang out here at the Little House on the East Side, or we could do it in Brooklyn too. I have whiskey collections in each place. We'll raid the whiskey collection We'll talk about racing. We'll talk about whatever you want, but I guarantee you'll uh, you'll get some really good drams of stuff and we'll make it very much worth whatever you end up bidding on it in the silent auction. And if you can't be there to bid at the silent auction, there is going to be a proxy bidding system set up, whether I help you with that or uh, one of the volunteers of the TRF help you with that. If you're interested, reach out to me. I'm on Twitter, at Looms Boldly, or you can hit me up through the contact page over at inthemoneypodcast.com. That's silent auction happening on Tuesday. So if that item is interesting to you, don't sleep on it. Loads of other great experiences as well, uh, including the Richard Migliori backstretch tour. We've got the Ramon Dominguez watching workouts. Loads of art items. There's so much cool stuff. You can find a link, trfinc.org slash players. Get involved and let's help 
the TRF raise some money, and let's also have some fun while we're doing it and get yourself some great experiences depending on whatever you are into. Who else are we going to thank? Our founding partners. We mentioned TRF. How about 10 Strike Racing? Always like to root for the purple and black around here. Most of all, though, I want to thank all of you, the listeners and viewers, for making these shows so much fun to do. If you want to support us, you can check out our Plus service for extra content in the moneypodcast.com slash plus, or you can just rate, review, subscribe, or how about this? Tell somebody about the show, some other racing fan. Help build our community. It really helps us out, and we appreciate that support very much. That's going to do it. We'll thank producer Craig for uh, stitching together all these segments, pushing all the right buttons as usual. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kitchen. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos. <laughs>